You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. In our master bathroom, there's a picture frame on the wall that I think Keaton probably picked up from a uh, store or maybe even made it herself. I'm not even sure the backstory of it. But on, that, on the side of the wall next to the mirror, there's a picture frame and it has two old photos on it. One photo, they're both from our honeymoon. One photo is of like this over, uh, overlook of like the beach in this small town in Sicily where we went on our honeymoon. Very fancy. Uh, and then the other one is a picture of me sitting at a train station, like waiting for a train. And I'm wearing a jacket that I just picked up the day before because they lost all my luggage when we arrived. That was quite the experience. But I have this, I have this moment or this experience where every time, uh, every night when I go to brush my teeth, I catch a glimpse of my, my mug, my face, the picture right there. And pictures are portals. They're portals. Uh, they transport us in time to a particular place. And every time I look at that picture and I look at, the, look at my own eyes, as joyful and as awesome as that, that time was, and we were just newly married and how great it was to now really start life together, behind those eyes was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of struggle. And when I look at that picture, it's like a time capsule where it transports you back. You guys ever had that experience in a picture? where you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I remember exactly what I was feeling, what I was doing, what I was thinking during that time. Pictures are portals. They give us an insight into what something was in the past. And when I look at that picture, that was eight years ago, which is crazy. We've been married almost for eight years. Eight years ago, I look at that picture and as a portal... I think, and this is almost at the end of brushing my teeth, when I, I go through that whole process, if I look at the picture, I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of pain and hurt behind that guy's eyes. He was not doing well. But then there's this thing that happens where at the end of brushing my teeth, is like, but he's not that way anymore. He's not carrying the same pain and brokenness that he was there. Not perfect and not complete, but different than it was eight years ago. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And in many ways, what Ephesians chapter 2 is trying to do is to give you a portal into your life before Christ and what you were separated from God, but then to remind you if that's not who you are anymore. If Ephesians 1 was to give you an imagination, like we talked about last, the last couple of weeks, of who God is and what he's doing in his story and all these ways that he's bringing heaven and earth together, reconciling all things, if that was all about imagination, this week is about inventory, imagination to inventory. This week, you have an inventory of what your life was like apart from Christ and what God has done on your behalf, from imagination to inventory. Would you join me? Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 18. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 18, says this, As for you, that you is all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work at those and those who are disobedient. Don't worry, we'll unpack what in the world Paul's talking about there. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then we often stop there and say, you know what, that's the end of the passage. We'll use this next section for the next sermon. But they're actually intimately connected. Therefore, in light of what you just heard, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, Gentile just is code for anyone who was not a non-Jew, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then look at the implication of what's happening now in light of all what, of, that God's doing in Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is God's word. How many of you guys have remodeled a, a house before? I, I know of one family in here who did quite a remodel. How many of you guys have at least done maybe a remodeling project in the house, right? Okay, a few of you. Uh, I've done a few as well in our house, two primarily. One was we were at first going to redo the floors all throughout the house except for the bedrooms, and the second one was converting a garage into an office like many of you did during COVID. But that first project, it seemed pretty simple. You know, what, all you got to do is we're going to remove the tile that's there from old or the carpet. And then we're just going to hire somebody to put down new flooring. So we started the project right before Cosette was born. It might have continued while she was being born and then while she was newly born. And my wife not have been too happy with that. Keaton wouldn't have been that excited, but she's forgiven me, I think, from, from that. But when you get started on a project and you get into it and you realize all the different things you didn't plan for, Right. So in our house, it's an older house from the 70s. We pop up the carpet and the tile thinking, oh, underneath is probably just cement flooring, right? No, it's one of those, it's some of those nine by nine original tiles that they tell you are like basically asbestos on a stick. And so you see those and you're like, oh, no. So then it's like, okay, how do we get this out? We got to get a HEPA filter and we got to get everyone out of the house. I'll just take care of it and I'll die early anyway. So we'll just do that. So you get that out, uh, and then you start working on that, and now your cost is adding up, right? So you're not, you didn't expect this. Uh, and then it was like, oh, you know what? You know what we also want to do is we want to actually add some space between these two rooms and cut out about eight feet of wall. It's definitely not load-bearing. It's going to be totally fine. 
me and my dad will just take it out one night. It'll be really loud, but we'll finish it. And then you start taking off that wall, and you realize, oh, that my saw just got stuck in the cutting off the two-by-four. I think this might be actually a load-bearing wall. Maybe we should talk to a contractor. Just bring the contractor out. Oh, yeah, it's a load-bearing wall. You're going to need to put a beam across there. Oh, I didn't plan for that. There goes another $2,000 or whatever it was. Uh, so you do that, and then you pull out all that. We're pulling out things. Okay, we finished the tile. Pull that all out. Asbestos, hopefully, is not all over our house. Uh, the beam goes in. It's getting ready. Oh, I didn't realize that we need to replace all the baseboards as well. I didn't think that that would actually affect. Okay, we need to pull all the baseboards out. Oh, that's another cost. Now I have also a truck full of garbage that I need to take to the dump. That's going to cost me 75 bucks. And before you know it, this project that seems simple and easy from the start has now just become very complex, very layered. Oh, I forgot to leave one thing out. Oh, yeah, pull the baseboards out. Oh, it looks like there's some termite damage right there. We need to require a termite guy to come out and make sure our house isn't infested. There goes another $150. Okay. The reason I share this story is sin, as described here in Ephesians 2, is a lot like remodeling an old house. It's a lot like remodeling an old house. What you see here in Ephesians 2 is actually three dimensions of sin. To, to, Paul gives us the complexity of what sin is and does. If you look at 2, 1 through 3, you're going to see three things. He's going to talk about the world, the demonic or the devil, and the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, to maybe put it another way, he's going to talk about how sin has three dimensions to it. Disordered desires that give birth to action, demonic warfare, and destructive systems. Disordered desires, demonic warfare, destructive systems. And to be really honest, especially depending on what tradition you grew up in, our vision of sin usually is really narrow. We think of sin as our disordered desires or uh, the ways we break one of God's commandments personally. But sin is way more complex than that. It's also there's a demonic, uh, there's a demonic force at work. Uh, even the use of the, the ruler of the world or the ways of the world He's thinking of the Roman Empire and how this, the empire works in its system and structure. Sin isn't just individuals, but it's persons and communities, and even whole cities are infected with sin. And I think we've done a decent job as a church talking about how sin has the different dimensions. It's not just personal. It has communal and even cosmic dimensions. I think we've done a good job of that. Today, I actually want to just focus on what personal sin does. To actually turn it up, turn the, in a sense, the camera on to us. As you see here in this passage, uh, all these different complexities of sin affect us, but I want to just, I want to focus on us. Uh, there's a quote I have, I'm going to throw up on the screen. It's from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. We started the cohort this morning. He says this There is no sin in thought, word, or deed. Remember our confession we did earlier? no matter how personal or secret, that does not inflict injury upon the whole fellowship. Every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. Gosh, that is a sobering quote. As you look at your own life and you think about the ways that we sin against our neighbor, as a church, as a people, our sin is never personal. Uh, as many of you had this experience this summer, 
uh, my AC unit went out. How many other AC units went out? I know at least a one. All right, twice. There you go. Hayden's as well. Thank you. Uh, the, I called the AC guy, and um, he said, okay, I'll come out in the next hour. He comes out, and he goes up on the roof. He looks everything over. He comes back down. He comes inside, and he looked like he literally saw a ghost. It's not a good start to a conversation with an AC guy. And he just, he walks in with his big boots and he says, hey, I have horrible news. I'm not exactly, this is what he said. I have horrible news. Uh, you have a pipe that's up there that transforms the hot air to cold air. It's kinked, it's leaking everywhere, and it needs to be replaced. And you're not going to have AC for the next week. And this is the hottest day of the year at this point. It was in June. It's like, oh, 115 today. Uh, so he's like, you need to be replaced. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, you know, the good part, the good news is it's under warranty. I'm like, oh, great. I said, what do you think my cost is going to be? Well, things have, you know, inflation, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be $2,500. It's like, okay, great. Well, I didn't tell you this part of the story. Uh, Keaton tested positive for COVID the night before, and now we're all sick in our house with no AC. So know what we did? We went to a rundown Embassy Suites in uh, Scottsdale area. It was really great. The kids loved it for that <laughs> night. But I was thinking about that, that, that story. Uh, it didn't take a whole week, thankfully. It only took a couple of days. I know some of you were out of AC for longer than that. We won't get to that right now. But I tell you that story because it took one part on this entire system to break and malfunction for the whole system to be affected. And I think this is what Bonhoeffer is trying to get at, that no sin is personal. It affects communities either to, in our lives, either to the health of the community or the, to destruction or distortion. I want you to think about sin uh, like a garden that has weeds in it. Some of you are gardeners in here. Uh, sin uh, in a garden that has weeds in it. Like, imagine us as the garden of God. And God is doing his cultivating work of sowing and watering and planting. But these weeds begin to sprout up. And weeds steal nutrients from plants that are around it. And sometimes, like with a weed, you can let it go for a while. And it won't do much, too much damage. It will just, in a sense, steal some nutrients, but not very many. But if you ever had experience of the, let the weed grow and grow and it gets nourished and watered, and before you know it, you're dealing with not just like, hey, it takes a couple fingers to pull this out of the ground. It's going to take a backhoe to get this thing out. And that's what sin does in our own hearts and in our community. We're all invited to do the regular work of tending to the weeds of our own hearts because the seed of every sin already exists there. Here's what I want you just to process in the quiet. We won't, I won't have you turn to the neighbor. It might be way too vulnerable. But here's the question. Where are the seeds of sin growing in your own heart that affect this community, us as the people? The church is not a collection of individuals. It's a body. And if one part of the body is suffering or not functioning correctly, it affects the whole body. What might confession and repentance look like with brothers and sisters that are here? Just sit with that for a moment.
Sin is pervasive. It's infected every part of God's creation. Its systems and structures, every system and structure in the world has the seeds of sin sown in it that marginalizes and oppresses. The demonic is real. There's a world we cannot see that is actively working against you and against God's good creation, sowing lies. And not only those things out there, but our own hearts. Twisted and broken by sin, our disordered desires give birth to sin, and we harm both ourselves and neighbors. It doesn't contribute to human flourishing, both for ourselves and for our neighbor and for our community. Paul's giving you all this really, really bad news. But, but, just in that context, and think of even just the, man, this is a downer of a sermon for the first 20 minutes. Think about then, look at verse four. Read with me. As if, in a sense, the, the pattern of sin is interrupted. The sentence breaks. The bad news ends. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God has raised you up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, but we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is good news. And as far as sin stretches over God's creation, as far as the curse is found, that is as far and further that redemption stretches as well. And no matter how broken your world might be right now, no matter how broken as you look out and think about war and violence and marginalization and oppression and conflict that's unresolved and unreconciliation, is whatever you see, the good news as far as the curse is found, Jesus has come with redemption, with grace. We use this, uh, we use this, uh, this drawing in our congregation. You've probably maybe seen it before if you've been around. But as we think about sin having these different dimensions, if that is as far as sin goes, then the gospel is good news for that too. As we live in this story, in light of the death and resurrection, the good news of the gospel has three horizons. The gospel, the good news that Jesus has rescued you is not just for you personally, but it's for our community. We've been sanctified together as a people, even in our brokenness. And it's not just good news for communities, it's good for every square inch of God's world. God isn't taking us and removing us to some other place. He's in the process right now of redeeming and restoring all things, the very ground you put your feet on and your own heart. So as we think about how pervasive sin is, this actually should be what shines in the midst of that. This is actually what we can hold to and cling to even as we work through how sin permeates our hearts and in our communities. But here's the good news as well that doesn't just come with the gospel horizons as an implication of that, is the rest of the passage is a message of reconciliation between people. 
between people that were once enemies that now have been brought together. In the ancient world, the table right here was a picture, was a portal for what reconciliation might look like. As early Christians would gather on the table, different socioeconomic status, different ethnic background, different rich and poor, different age, maybe people that were once enemies would share a common table and a common meal. It would be a sign, a picture of their reconciliation with God and with one another. And so I want to invite us to that table as we do each week. Then in light of how sin permeates God's creation, God is on a mission, as you see through Ephesians, of redeeming and restoring all things. And not just for you, but for the entire creation and to reconcile even us in this room. The work of reconciliation has started, but it is not finished. You come to this table with just a taste of it, a glimpse of it, a little piece of bread and a little cup. But please taste it this afternoon. Please taste it as the starting place for the reconciling work God is doing in all of creation. Would you stand with me? Each week we recite the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. You come to this table forgiven, no matter what you're carrying. You come to this table with hope, no matter what you see in the world. You come to this table as an offering of the reconciliation that was been given to you, that now you extend to another. So let's recite the mystery of our faith. I'm gonna invite you to the communion table to taste and see that God has started this reconciliation work in Christ. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and eat.